0: Hey guys, John Paulemy here, Actionable Intelligence. Today is Saturday, December 4th, and this is the weekly market update. So before I do the disclaimer, um, just to let everybody know, I had a really pretty decent head cold this week, and so that's why I'm late putting the video out. Um, I was down hard probably from Tuesday to, well, yesterday morning. And um, so I <clears throat> will be, coughing still a little bit and drinking water during this. So I apologize for the quality, but that, uh, we are in the flu and cold season, as they say, and no, it's not COVID. It's just a regular head cold. I had to go get tested for COVID. It came back negative. So, uh, getting on with the, uh, disclaimer, anything that you see or hear on the video or on the podcast is not to be taken as investment advice. I'm not a registered financial advisor, I'm just a guy on the internet. Please do your own due diligence. It's your money, it's your responsibility. So the first thing I wanted to talk about was the big sell-off we've had the last three or four weeks. Really, a lot of the companies that we're involved with have kind of not been doing well since I'd say September, October. Um, As the reflation trade looks to be receding, Uh, that happens, right? These things, these rotations happen in the market over the short and medium term. And I've talked about in the past about volatility and that we were going to experience volatility. We're going to see more volatility. You're getting a sense of that now. Um, For somebody that's been around for a while myself, uh, I don't really see a big deal here. When I say that, I don't say that to be glib or to um minimize what you may be experiencing but what's really changed um Mr. Powell said that he threw the transitory thing out in inflation and we might raise interest rates three times next year we might accelerate the taper from 5,000 year lows really I mean this is the same kind of talk that happened in 2018 if you were around back then Mr. Powell did that and we had a taper tantrum the market dropped about 20% and he reversed himself very quickly. What I what I'm trying to get to the point is the things that we're talking about here have nothing to do with the weekly news reports or minutiae of what happens. Um, or what comes out of the mouth of various Federal Reserve folks. Yes, liquidity has helped us. Yes. We are seeing liquidity tighten up around the world, but there's still a ton of liquidity out there and we're seeing rotations now. We're finally seeing a lot of these growth stocks get taken out to the woodshed. These stocks that, you know, if you remember some of the charts I've put up in the past showing some of the companies with 30, 40 times sales. You know, some of these companies got shellacked. I think it was DocuSign's turn on Friday. I think they missed earnings by a penny or something like this. And the stock was down 40%. You're going to see more of this, and so when you start having, you know, we've had a one-way trip with a lot of these high-growth stocks. A lot of people are in the market. A lot of retail. A lot of hedge funds. A lot of people have leveraged up, I believe. And Rick Rule talks about this. It doesn't really matter what gets sold when the margin clerk, you know, is sicked on your account. Um, you have to be sold down, and what's whatever can be sold to meet the margin will be sold and everything gets sold, right? So across the board, I've said this before. Um, What I like to do in these situations is, you know, I've talked about before, what is the thesis? What is your reasoning for buying uh, these particular companies that are in the portfolio or in your portfolio? You should know, you should know what they are. And then you should say to yourself, well, is this, has anything changed in the last week, two weeks, three weeks? to change the basis of my investment in this particular company. And if it hasn't, then you should be buying more. But this is exactly Anthema to what most retail investors do. They get scared. They don't really know why they bought things. Somebody on the internet said they should buy it. Their brother-in-law said at Thanksgiving that he was getting rich on uranium. And so, I, you know, he's a moron and I'm smart, so I'm going to buy. This is what happens. We've I've talked about this ad nauseum if you've been on my channel and I can't, steady the tiller for you i can't reach out through this computer screen and tell you it's going to be okay what i can tell you is is my experience of what i've seen and what i'm doing um i think being sick this week kind of took me out of the box i was laying down quite a bit i wasn't watching the markets that closely and so you know until i started really looking at things yesterday late yesterday and today i mean i wasn't that shocked of what i saw but it's something it's It's what I've seen before. Um, I'm not here to tell you that you should jump in and buy now. The lows are in, buy, buy, buy. I I don't know, I can't know the future. I can tell you that the various reasons why I like commodities and resource stocks has not changed. All that has changed is the price. So if you like albacore tuna fish in spring water and it costs $1.50 a can at Kroger, and they lower the price to 40 cents you'll be over there buying as many as you can because you're getting a deal if the price of the uranium northern uranium trust drops which I'll show a chart of it people are emailing me telling me is the uranium asking me if the uranium bull market's over you know you have to remember what we're trying to do here okay we're trying to catch the <coughs> excuse me the majority of a move of a multi-year move there are going to be volatile periods. There are going to be 40, 50% drawdowns. This is typical. We went over this before. You have to be prepared for it. You have to be able to purge the fear and the flight flight uh, instinct that comes into you, which is sell it all and move on. You have to be able to do that. And the only way you're able to do that is if you have your thesis intact, if you have conviction. And conviction comes from understanding why you bought these things, and writing it down. And if nothing's changed, I mean, one of the main catalysts that just happened in the last month or two was China announcing they were going to build 150 reactors, basically over the next 10 years or whatever it was, 20 years. That didn't change. Did uh, was there any announcements this week of billionaire hedge funds or Bill Gates or anybody saying they were going to invest 100 billion dollars on bringing more uranium supply? Online in the next three to five years? No, we didn't see that. Nothing has changed in the thesis except for in the short term, as Buffett says, the market is a voting machine. In the long term, it's a weighing machine. What does that mean? It means that in the short term, volatility and emotion and sediment rule. And we have, you know, the mob voting for lower share prices a lot of this, like I said, is from fear. A lot of it is a confluence of events. It's a lot of it, people taking profits at the end of the year to lock in their gains, to lock in their bonuses. There's a whole bunch of things going on, and what I don't like to do is what they do on CNBC and Bloomberg. You know, every time the market farts or goes up, they have to get on there and talk for four hours, like Tom Keene and some of these people, people on CNBC. They get on there and talk for hours because this is they have nothing else to do, and it sells advertising why the market went down or why the market went up. They have to give you a reason. I have no idea why the market goes up and down every day. I'm in this thing for three to five year moves that you know are uh, sectorial, cyclical moves. So one of the things I wanted to share with you, I hope that kind of explains where I'm coming from, Okay, what I think about this. Nothing has changed except the prices went down. If nothing's changed and the product you like has got clipped by in some cases 20, 30, 40%. You know what you should be doing. It's hard to do that, but that's why most people are not rich from investing in the stock market because they're unable to do exactly this step in and buy when things become a value. And so let's look at this. Let me see if I can move my mug here. This is Google's uh, Google search or whatever you can put terms in and get like what how popular the terms are it's on a scale of zero to 100 and basically what you have here is the various variants if you will of uh, the disease that cannot be mentioned and this tells you exactly how things work so you go all the way back to march of this year and as we spooled up for this particular variant which i'm not going to say these things because the ai and youtube is very proficient at dinging videos so you see this particular one, there was a lot of interest and then it petered out as the case count went down. Then we had a, another, you know, back here in September, this kind of was a little bit of a move. And then you just see our old, our new friend here that came up, this thing went straight up and maxed out. So if this was a stock that just went from zero to 100 a hundred in a week, would you be a buyer or a seller? What would be the sediment? And so what we're seeing is, is, you know, Shoot first, ask questions later. Sell, sell, sell. This is just one of many things that's going on. I'm just trying to tell you about how fear sells. The media loves it. This is a reason. Tom Keene and and Jim Cramer on CMC, this this is a reason. You know, what if this happens? What if that happens? Europe's locking down. They're locking down. This is going to happen. Very well could happen. We don't know. All it does is postpone the inevitable. Um, What I think the news is beginning to show is that this particular situation is more transmissible but less deadly and as I think that becomes more clear if that is in fact the case then I think that'll be one negative variable removed from the market. But you can see, you know, like I said, this is not a stock that I'd be a buyer of. Of a stock that went from a $1 dollar to hundred dollars in a couple of days or a week, um, and what we've seen is, is not something that's going to be uh, probably a big deal. What you have to understand is the northern climate zones now are entering the winter. This you have seasonality to cold and flu season. Okay, so people are going to get sick regardless. Because this particular uh, disease that cannot be mentioned has now just become endemic, like the other 200 rhinoviruses that are out there, like the influenza A and B virus, like the H1N1. These things are constantly circulating and constantly mutating. This is nothing new. Oh, it's a mutation. Plan X from Plan B from Planet X. What are we going to do? All these things mutate, all these things are constantly changing. They typically, you know, what what do these things want to do? They have one objective in their existence. I don't want to say life because there's discussion as to whether these things are even alive because they don't respirate, for example. They want to propagate themselves. And so they have a tendency to mutate unless they are affected with some outside gerrymandering. They have a tendency, not always, but for the most part, to evolve or adapt into being more transmissible and less lethal. That has been the case. You know, in a typical flu and cold season, people are gonna, 30 to 60,000 people in the U.S. die. And now it's kicking off up north. And so everybody's freaking out. They don't even understand seasonality. They don't understand anything. They don't understand this thing's endemic. It is circulating just like everything else that circulates. Uh, I just got done having a head cold. It it was probably one of the 200 rhino viruses. Okay, I had RSV because I was in the valley three months ago. That was another upper respiratory. I just had bad luck this year with these upper respiratory viruses. Okay, they circulate; people get them. It's not the end of the world. This probably isn't the end of the world either. So that should, you know, but you can, you know, we can wait several weeks and see how the data looks. But that's the initial seems to be where the data is heading. I think uh, we'll check back in a month and see if this is still interest in this is still at hundred. I doubt it will be. And so you have to take that into account, okay? Uh, and the media, you know, they love, to, they love to sell fear. If it bleeds, it leads because it gets eyeballs. It gets interest. You can see the interest here. Everybody's in oh, what's gonna happen? So that's one thing, you know, Powell talking about an early taper, more interest rate increases. Off a 30 or 5,000 year low, whatever, I mean, nothing's actually been raised yet. Is liquidity tightening around the world? Yeah, it absolutely is. I didn't get a chance to put the CFR, I, you know, Council for Foreign Relations tracks that and they have a scale of plus 10 to negative 10. And we were at negative 10, which is maximum liquidity creation for the last couple of years. So we flooded the world with trillions and trillions and trillions of currency units. And now they're talking about possibly pulling that back. Why? Because inflation's getting out of control all over the world not just in the US, and they're way behind the curve, just like they were in the 70s. We don't know what's going to happen. We do know, though, if we've entered in, you know, the economy, leading economic indicators, economy is not booming because we're the, the base case, but economies are still expanding. Demand for energy is still there. Things were overbought. A lot of people were piled into the energy story, right? Uh, that's all people were talking about. So you get way... Too many people on one side of the canoe and it rolls over. You reset, get back in the canoe. Now people are, what are they doing? They're rotating into consumer staples and all this stuff. You know, these rotations are constantly taking place inside the market. We're not trying to, I'm not trying to trade these. Okay. What I do is I take a position early on. I'm still way, way up because I was in these things a long time ago. You know, I have people, long-time listeners to the channel will understand what I have as the newsletter indicator, which is I can tell what sediment is in the market based on newsletter subscriptions. Um, In September and October, I had the best probably two months in the history of the actionable intelligence alert because everything was roaring, right? That's when oil was going to go to 100, um, uranium was going to go to 200, yada yada. All the news was out there and everybody was pouring in, remember? Now subscriptions are way down because uh, the last few weeks, everything's got nuked And people are like, well, the shiny object has now become dulled. So here is the North Shore Global Uranium Mining ETF. You can see this thing was way overbought, guys. It was way above. It's pulled back. It's still in an uptrend. This 200-day moving average is still in effect. This thing could come all the way down and kiss this. We've seen it happen before back in late August. Kissed it, bounced right off it. OK, I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm not predicting that's going to happen. I'm just telling you that when things are in a bull market, they have this tendency to do this. OK, they go up, they consolidate the gain, they pull back. That's what happens. Nothing fundamentally has changed in the uranium market for the long term. In the short, and medium term, anything can happen. You should how people become wealthy in these type of markets is to put money to work when volatility making volatility their friend, not running away from it. And so, as these things pull back, and I mean we're at we were at 104, we're down to 77. So I don't know, just on the fund, it's down what over 25 percent. Some individual stocks are down 50 percent. I've from what I've seen. If you like the stock, then you should be a, be a buyer. Same thing in oil. You know the SPR. The possibility of economic slowdown. <clears throat> What's demand going to do? What's OPEC going to do? It was way overbought. Kind of had like an interim double top here, possibly. Way above the trading, above the moving averages. Sentiment all positive. Nobody talking negative. And this is what you get. Um, I can tell you that a lot of the oil stocks that I'm invested in uh, do tremendously well at this oil price. Um, A lot of the company's cash flow projections are based on oil, probably under $60 a barrel. So we'll see what happens. I mean, there's no guarantees. We're in the shoulder season. So we have a lot of things down, but like I said, there's no appetite because did anything change about the lack of investment? Did anything change about demand coming back? Did anything change about the fact that the, green transition is going to take longer and cost more money and use more fossil fuel than anybody thought no none of that changed only thing it changed is price in the short term the market is a voting machine in the long term it's a weighing machine we've seen this before so this is a chart i grabbed uh bullish and bearish case for oil in 2022 i thought it was interesting i want to go over a couple of these points let's go over the bearish new covid variant threatens oil demand outlook. check that could happen we're seeing lockdowns uh like in austria and some other countries but uh you know oil is used as a transportation fuel only about 25 percent of the, of its use is transportation fuel it's used in so many other products so the whole world's not going to lock down the appetites for locking down is not there and if this particular variant is not is uh deadly as previous variants then this will dissipate very quickly this particular case major consumers plan coordinated spr release this is a fart in the mitten we've already talked about this is nothing 50 million 100 million barrels whatever they have to buy it back eventually are they are these countries in there buying and if you look at the nuances of some of the spr releases the crude quality and the type of crude there's a lot of things here okay so this is another one of these things that you get it on the tape and it can cause some short-term um, negative sentiment. Longer term, it has no bearing. Releasing 50 million barrels, the world uses 100 million barrels a day. It's nothing. It's half a day's uh, oil usage. It's a non-event. But it, it it gets on the wire. And when you're already in a negative sentiment, and you already see Mr. Biden's out there taking credit for it. I mean, it's unconscionable. Market to switch from deficit to surplus. This is a talk that... Um, This is something that OPEC has even said. I'm not sure if that's the case. Uh, We'll see. Uh, OPEC did take the opportunity. If they thought things were going to go from a deficit to a surplus, not sure why they would go ahead with the 400,000 barrel um, per day increase for December. Uh, You recall that they started adding 400,000 barrels of production per day, per month, I think starting back in August. So August, September, October, November, December, that'd be 2 million barrels brought online per day of extra? Why would they do that if they felt the market was going to go into surplus? The other thing that's fascinating is, was we've known and have shown in the past the ability of OPEC to actually bring the production. All of the constituents of OPEC are not able to meet their quotas because of the lack of investment. They're hamstrung. We don't know how bad, but I think we're going to find out over the next year or two. U.S. oil stocks creeping higher after September low. Uh, that, that's true. It's kind of leveled out. We're not seeing the big draws, but we're in the shoulder season. This is pretty typical. So what's on the bullish side? Economic needs may encourage OPEC supply restraint. Well, we haven't seen that. We saw them add 400,000 barrels a day. Higher gas prices encourage more gas to oil switching. Uh, we've seen that a little bit, and that's more that's anticipated. We still aren't even into winter yet in Europe and we still have the record gas prices there, natural gas prices, we'll see. Uh, Some OPEC members struggling to pump near quotas, we know that, we just mentioned that. Capital discipline, energy transition, curb investment and output. That's one of the main themes of why we're invested in this sector. Strangulation of investment that will lead to the lack of replacement of reserves and production, which will lead to substantially higher oil prices. So I think... Our particular thesis is in place. Um, over the next week or two, we'll see what happens. It's a lot of technical damage. We're at the end of the year. A lot of guys might just pack it in, call it a, call it a, a year, take their profits, lock everything in, get their bonuses, um, and then we'll just have to see what happens. So, um, difficult to say. Like I said, it's futures completely in the short term unknowable. Shell and producers still not investing. This is your, you know, cash flow, operating cash flow in gray. This is the CapEx. You see that CapEx has been on decline since basically the first, well, I mean, for a while, we had a little bit of a, basically, I like this line. This is the reinvestment rate and percentage of your cash flow. It's at a record low. Only 40% of cash flow is being reinvested into new um, production. That's not sustainable. Why? Because the managements, the previous managements of Drill Baby Drill have been flushed out. You've got new managements in a lot of these companies who have heard the clarion call from the shareholder and want the cash flow returned to them via buybacks and dividends. And we are, in fact, seeing that. So, don't, yes, people are out there drilling. A lot of them are independent operators. Don't kid yourself if oil gets to $100 a barrel, everybody will start drilling. I have no doubt about that, but we don't see any evidence of this like big push to go back to the way things were before. So I kind of like this uh, quote from Massive Capital. They were talking about uh, the CEO of Yarrow It's a fertilizer producer. We talked about this before, stated that the cost to produce a ton of ammonia has increased tenfold from $100 per ton last summer to $1,000 per ton currently. And I like this. This should be like the, <clears throat> excuse me, this should be like the mantra or the, or the uh, logo for actual intelligence lurch alert. Watch out for unintended consequences in an industrial world when we fail to invest in energy of all kinds. Um, yeah, uh, that's what we've done. And we've invested our money, I think, in substandard energy sources. Uh, massive Capital. I do read their work. They are bullish on green energy, but they also are realistic and understand that hydrocarbons are going to be around for decades. Um, but yeah, this is you know, this is what happens when you have insufficient natural gas to make ammonia and urea and other things. You know, there's so many things that we rely on that we don't even think of. You know, clean water is one of the major reasons. And and proper dealing with sewage in the West uh, is why we have longer lifespans. We don't have dysentery outbreaks. We don't have all disease. We don't have contaminated water. And that's done with chemicals. I worked in a water treatment plant. It was industrial, but the amount of chemicals we used to process and clean up the water for use in the industrial process was staggering. And you can imagine that like the billions and billions of gallons a day that are processed just in the U.S. And you don't have outbreaks of all these you know, diseases and people take this for granted, how much chlorine a year is used for that, right? How much, you know, soda ash is used for different things. People don't give any thought to any of these things until they're not available. And then it's like somebody needs to do something. So here's ammonia prices. We were just talking about that. Uh, I guess there's a concern that when you see this big of a spike, you come right back down. So far, we haven't seen that. We don't know when the spike ends, but farmers are already complaining that they're not going to be, you know, who's going to subsidies are being given in some countries like India. There's just certainly not enough to go around. And that is going to have a follow through effect because the inputs that are required to get the yields may not be there. You are possibly looking at a, a season or so of poor crop yields. What does that do to crop prices? You know, that's the thinking here. And that goes back to the unintended consequences. This is an unintended consequence of natural gas prices being at these outlandishly high rates where people are having to shut in production of ammonia and things like this and other fertilizers because they simply can't afford to make them or can't even get the gas to make them. So, I want to get <clears throat> here's another example. I want to get into this the copper. You know, everybody's talking about the green revolution, but nobody's really thinking about, we've talked about this before, the constituents that are required, the materials that are required to make this happen. So, a uh, guy that I admire, Robert Friedland, um, he's a co founder of Ivanhoe Mines. He also found the Oyu Tolgoi mine and developed it in Mongolia. He's been a serial entrepreneur. And basically what he said is uh, metals essential to the clean energy transition such as copper are enjoying an ocean of capital as investors seek exposure. He goes on to say, now he's known for making outlandish statements, but I kind of like some of the things he says here. We're looking to produce as an industry as much copper in the next 20 years as we did in the last 1000 years. We need an enormous volume of these metals or we just won't have the transition. Well, we're not going to have the transition because the metals are not going to be produced unless we have substantially higher prices. Where are they gonna find all these mines? I'm gonna show you another slide from Anglo-American CEO, where he talks about the same thing. The scramble to bring on more production was also likely to stoke more m activity in the sector, he added. But m activity doesn't add more metal. It just consolidates the existing metal resources under less and less names. So that might be good for Ivanhoe, they could say they're a bigger copper producer, but doesn't increase the, you know, it's like if you, we have a pizza and there's eight slices and I grab two of the slices. The pizza doesn't get bigger. There's not more pizza. I have more pizza, but there's not more overall pizza. So the amount of investment, the amount of capital that needs to come in has just not there. This is just an oil and gas. This isn't just in uranium. It's all across the resource sector. That's what I'm trying to tell you. This decade you know, unless you have like complete like get hit by a meteor or there's thermonuclear war or there's a complete economic like 1930s depression i just don't see how these resources don't move higher over time they simply have not made the investments required for the demand that's out there so here's a quote from uh, the Anglo-American CEO he tells minds and money conference that the world will need 30 of its, I can't pronounce, it's a mine in Peru. It's their flagship mine they're bringing online. In the next 20 years, I think the the mine I looked it up has reserves of like 7 billion pounds of copper that we need 30 of these in the next 20 years as we decarbonize. Where, Where are they finding copper mines that have 7 billion pounds of copper? It's not happening. This guy says in the end, tough ask. Yeah, it's simply not happening. I'm not even sure if that amount of copper can be found in those volumes. There's plenty of these resources in the ground, but they are getting less and less concentrated. The big easy stuff has been found. And it's gonna take billions and billions of dollars of capital to go out and find this. And it's going to take years. And we've dilly-dallied on this and haven't done it. And we're going to, that's why we're going to see higher prices. That's going to yield us tremendous opportunity. But if you can't look past what happened over the last month or so, and you're scared out of the market because you haven't done the research or you don't understand what is actually happening, and you don't, that inability to understand because you haven't done the work leads to the fact that you have no conviction. Of course, you're going to get run out of the market because you're just listening to John or Cuppy or somebody else. You're not doing your own work. And so here, this is, I thought this was an interesting picture I found on Twitter. This is a subsea cable for a electrical cable for a wind farm that's offshore. And you can see these are the three phases. It's all copper. I don't know what every single one of these. Some of these are probably fiber, communication lines, smaller power, maybe some augs augs power. I don't know. These are your main, though, cables for transmitting the copper or the uh, electricity that's produced back to the shore. This is 33 pounds of copper per foot in this cable. So how many miles offshore? I don't know. I mean, I'm just giving you a what we're up against. The demand for these materials, based on what they're talking about doing, is almost limitless. And we ha- simply do not have the metal. If you're in a position where you have the metal, you're going to do tremendously well over the next three, five, or 10 years, in my view. You're certainly going to do better than if you own DocuSign. That's, that's been my thesis that the transition from growth for the sake of growth, companies in an inflationary environment where the governments are more involved and where we're trying to make we're having these mandated transitions to a green economy um, are going to be so material and intensive. I think that's going to cause at some point, that's probably going to be the end of the resource market when everybody fesses up and says it simply can't be done we don't have the material but that's a long 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 way off in my view but I think this is the kind of things that illustrate what you're really talking about in real time somebody could say well John said that uh you know there's so much demand for copper and what's he talking about well how much copper how many feet of cable do you need for this particular installation I don't know 5,000 feet probably you know a lot more than that if you're 20 miles offshore 30 miles offshore how much is it a mile you know 150,000 feet of cable at 33 pounds. I mean, you're talking, you know, millions and millions of pounds of copper. How many of these installations they plan on building? I mean, I see it where I'm at. Just the amount of copper we use, (coughs) excuse me, building these solar and wind farms. Crazy, dude. All right, so that's it for this week. That's about all I got in me. I'm not, like I said, I'm not feeling that good. I hope this was useful to you. I hope that you get something out of these videos. Like I guess I can tell by the viewership on YouTube, the amount of people signed up for the newsletter that sentiment is horrible. But we've been through these periods before and there may be more pain to come. I do not know. I cannot know the future. But I will tell you that currently I am still long-term invested and I've been putting more money to work in some of the names that I like um and this is the time to do that if you're going to be run out then you like i said you probably shouldn't have been in it to begin with because you don't understand what we're doing and why we're doing it That's not a that's not to throw brick bats at people that's not to tell people you know be negative towards people that's just reality and you're playing for keeps here this is real money this is this is the real deal this is you know this is this is the major leagues and, uh, you know, the money and wealth typically transfers from the less informed and naive to the most informed and uh, people that have the most experience. It's just the way it is. All right, guys, that's it for this week. Uh, appreciate you tuning in and we will talk to you next week. Thanks.